When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak on a disappointing 2-in-1 edition after the Saints fall 18-17 in Green Bay. The team having a 17-0 lead going into the fourth quarter and then a bunch of doom and gloom followed that I'm sure we'll get into a bunch. Jeff, how was the trip out to Wisconsin at least? I don't know what you're talking about. That was a great trip. Nothing went wrong. Everything, uh, no, that, that was terrible. Anyway, so yeah, you know, it's funny, like the trip to Wisconsin, uh, I was back by eight o'clock and I was like, man, I guess I could do a live chat. Um, but then I was like, no one needs that. I emotionally, it's not going to help anybody. Let's wait until tomorrow, and uh, we're going to record something a little more established. I've gotten a chance to go through some of the game. I haven't gone through all of the game. It's just, this was, you know, I talked after week one about how much fun it was going through the film. Not the case this time. I can but, imagine. So we're going we're gonna to go, this is going to be a similar episode, but I do want to do things a little differently because normally we would start with the stock up players. No. I'm not starting with the stock up players. We're going to start with the stock down players. And then I want to spend the second segment talking about Derek Carr's injury. We got a great interview on WWL this morning. Tommy Tucker did with Dr. David Elias. So I'm going to play you kind of a cut of that interview, give you some information on the injury Derek Carr is dealing with. And then we can kind of talk about what our expectations are for Jameis this week, whatever. We are going to do stock up in the final segment. It's going to be a shorter segment, (laughs) but there are that, you know, it's not, all bad, right? Like there were some positives to take away from this sure. game. When I say that on Twitter, people are like, how dare you? But, you know, they were up 17 in halftime. They were up 17, nothing in the fourth quarter. It wasn't all bad. Uh, so there are a few players that I want to highlight and uh, we can kind of get into that. The season's not over. It's two and one, right? Like if you if if you talk to someone before the season and you said Alvin Kamara is out three games. What would you hope to see from a record perspective? Would you accept two and one? Of course you would. Obviously, you wouldn't want to bake in a quarterback injury, but that's why you kept Jameis around. Like in terms of backup quarterback play over the last few years, I think they're in probably the best situation they've been in other than maybe the year you had Teddy and he went five and oh, like this is why you have him here. So we're going to get into that. First things first, though, some levity. I told you I, that there was a really awkward story that when I was out in Green Bay and uh, 
<laughs> I'm just glad that this didn't up and end up on the broadcast. Heck, it might have. I didn't watch it, but Jimmy Graham's touchdown. So I'm standing in the back of the end zone. And so you, you know how this works. Like you have a mic pack and I have it on my belt. Like I have it on my side, on my belt, right? And the headphones are plugged into that. I'm there. I'm in the back of the end zone. In the replay of the Jimmy Graham touchdown, you can actually see my hand with the mic. Like you can see this mic flag. So you can tell I'm right there, but I'm just out of the frame, thankfully. And so what happened is Jimmy scored. And so he comes through the back of the end zone. He's spiking it. And so I'm backpedaling to get out of the way because I don't want to get run over by the behemoths on the field. That would cause a scene. Anyway, but in Lambeau, it's an old stadium. So everything's old. They got bleachers. There's one tunnel in and out of the stadium. And the nets, the kicking nets, are just kind of sprawled over the ground. Like there's no place for them. Like most stadiums will have kind of a receptacle or an area. So they're not just all over the place with people tripping over them. Not at Lambeau. So what happens is I'm backing up to get out of the way of the players because that's what you're supposed to do. And they start raising the kicking net. Well, the net goes in under my mic pack and gets caught on the mic pack. Whoa. I am stuck. They're pulling the net up. And I'm like, wait, I got to get this out. And like the guy's like, he's trying to help me. But it, basically, I'm caught in a fishing net. Like if you throw a net over somebody and they're like flailing to get out, that was sure. me, except it was the mic pack. And so I'm like, I can't lose the mic pack. If the mic pack goes up and falls and breaks, how am I supposed to do my job? So I end up like panicking and just yanking the mic pack and breaking the clip off, which also breaks my headphones. Oh. <laughs> like then the clip goes up and the guy's like, well, you can get it when it comes back down. I'm like, it's trash. What are you talking about? I don't need that. I can't fix that. And then, so I'm just, I, I thankfully I had another pair of headphones in my bag. So I was just, I just went over to the bag, put the headphones in and kind of kept going as if nothing had ever happened. But like, I'm just glad that that, that didn't end up, on the broadcast somehow because man that was embarrassing let me tell you (laughs) that sounds like something for sure and yeah i can imagine that panic because it's like yeah you your equipment obviously is everything well it's not even that it was like in my head i was like i need to figure this out quickly because at a certain point people are going to start asking why is there a delay why haven't they kicked the extra point yet and then they're going to be like because that idiot's caught in the net Oh, there's a broadcaster on the field who's packed right. up. Well, because like net. you saw that there was a point in the game where the, it got delayed like ten minutes because the because the uh, spider cam the the you know the the yeah, uh, right. It got, Are you it sure got that stopped. wasn't you? Right. Well, it almost was. And then uh, on like this is almost like a national broadcast, and they were like, "Hmm, we have a slight delay because this idiot is caught in the nets." <laughs> oh my god! I never even told Robert, our engineer. I I tried to tell him on the field. But it was so difficult. It was just so convoluted to explain that I was like, you know what? Never mind. I'll explain this to you next week when I hand you the mic pack and there's no clip on it anymore. <laughs> it uh, pieces. Anyway, so I hope, you know, just to just to lighten the tension here before we get into the real bad stuff. <laughs> that no, was you, uh that was you never warned me about that. <laughs> no way. Uh you've had a a, a great and a, a heart-pounding first uh, couple games uh, to start your sideline experience. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, anyway. It, like, And I don't even think I, – I don't think I was very good on the broadcast in general, and it was partly because I was so flustered <laughs> after that point. I thought you gave out tons of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I was telling you before, like, my pregame kind of scene setter, I was, like, kind of self-conscious about it because 
right, I decided yeah, yeah. to talk about special teams. And I was like, this is Blake Groupie's first game kicking outside. There's a little breeze coming in end to end. You know, not just saying that this comes down to a kick. And then I was like, that's kind of lame. No one's listening to the broadcast being like, oh, yeah, let's go. Kicking game, baby. But then, <laughs> hey, wouldn't, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> I think if there's no wind, he makes that kick. But all right, let's start with the three down here. Can you guess what my first down <laughs> is? Steve? The entire offensive line. You got it. Hey. I mean, geez. Like, we were talking about this before you came on. You said, oh, the offensive line is offensive. I think it's dangerous. <laughs> like, I think people are getting hurt because the offensive line isn't good enough. And I was saying, like, you know, Jameis is out there, and this has nothing to do with Jameis. I think you there's a point where you have to consider starting Taysom Hill for no reason in terms of the quality of play. I'm worried about Jameis. Like, I, I, at least I know Taysom can move around and protect himself, and he's a sturdy guy. He's used to taking hits. Like, we saw Tays- Jameis get teed off on in a couple of games last year season over right like we like atlanta he hurts his back uh, against the bucks his foot and then all of a sudden he is hobbled and you can't do it and i mean i just it's got to get better um it's it's atrocious and you're talking about a sack per quarter that's unheard of even from bad offensive line groups let alone a group that has four first round draft picks on it that's the real it, disturbing part, obviously, when you see, you see the amount of draft capita they've put into that, and it, it doesn't seem to be panning out. And even a guy yeah. like Ryan Ramchek not even having a good day. No, and I mean, part of this is scheme, right? Like, I, like we're going to, we can talk about the play calling a little bit. I, you know, personally, I think people are focused on the wrong things. They're talking about why didn't you throw late in the game? I actually think that was the right call, and we can go into that a little bit. But, you know, there was points in that game where I was just like, what are you doing? Like, first and 14. They're 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 max protecting and running a shot play and a play action. Well, that's not going to work, guys. Like they don't they're not respecting the run game, and you end up with Landon Young isolated on Rashawn Gary, who already has two sacks. Landon Young is the jumbo tight end, and so like they just like you need to slide protection. You need to do something. You need to move the launch point, get Jameis out of there or work the quick game so you can at least get this drive started, that drive you're at second and 22. The drive's effectively over. Um, And so those types of calls were more problematic to me. But, I mean, James Hurst was already struggling. And this is when this this happened, I immediately was like, this is going to go badly. Cesar Ruiz comes out with a concussion. And Andres Peak comes in. And now... I have no idea why they have not been cross-training Andres Pete at right guard, right? Why not? Why have you not been doing that? But Andres Pete comes in at left guard. And that means that James Hurst, who has exclusively played on the left side in camp and talked to us about how switching from tackle to guard is a heck of a lot easier than switching across the line to the opposite side. Like he openly was like, that's something that I struggle with. That's something that a lot of linemen will struggle with. So why wasn't Andres Pete when he was not starting cross training so that if he came in, he could be the right guard and you only had one guy playing out of position instead of a backup and another guy playing out of position. And you put Hurst over there on that right side. It was only a matter of time. <sighs> I questioned Doug Marone. I questioned Pete Carmichael. I questioned the scheme. It's not working. And, you know, I think well, I'm not going to play a lot of audio in this from the players and the, and the, and the coaches because, 
you know, it's all fucking, I'm sorry, it's all, I'll, I'll cut well, that can, out. We can curse it's, on the podcast. Yeah, we can, but yeah, it's a bad habit to get into. It's, <laughs> then it's only a matter of time before I'm dropping one on the, on the game <laughs> broadcast. And I think Dennis Allen, like if you read between the lines here, like this is for, for DA in a post game, this type of comment is not made lightly. And so, so here, here it is. Yeah, I think, I think it needs to be better. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, we got to figure that out. Um, you know, particularly, you know, early in the game. Um, you know, so I think that's something that we've got to we've got to improve and 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 we've got to get better at. We knew that this was a, a team that could rush the passer. Put your finger on like maybe starting. Yeah, well, look, I, there's a couple of them where we just got beat early. You know, um, and so um, we'll have to keep looking at what are we doing technique wise. What are we teaching? You know, are we teaching the right the right things? Um, and uh, but certainly that's that's an area that we've got to you know we've got to get better at that because it's, it's not been good enough. You don't get a ton out of DA in these post game press conferences, but I mean to me that's shots fired across your offensive line coach's bow there. Like, sure, what are, are we, we teaching? Yeah, like like there's something's not clicking here, right? And now our quarterback is out with an injury for no other reason than he's been getting laid out. And you can say, sure, he needs to protect himself better, fine. But like, I mean, we're talking immediate pressure and he's got to hang in there because he's trying to get this offense moving and he's just getting laid out. And like, when I went through the film from week two, I was amazed how many times he got hit. I didn't even realize it. Like he got hit after throwing the ball and he had to hang in there and just take a huge hit. And like, sometimes you're like, wow, why did he miss this? Why didn't he get the ball where it was supposed to go? Cause he's having to throw it early. He's having to get the ball out because if he doesn't, he is, it's a huge sack. And like that is happening so much. And you know, I, I don't know how you fix it. I don't know how you go about doing that. Hopefully, you know, you're getting Alvin Kamara back and hopefully that makes teams respect the run game a little bit more. And you know, you're going to get some easier matchups. I don't know if that's this week, right? The Bucks have a good, have a good front too. And a lot of teams have good fronts. You can't just say, well, okay, every time we play a good defensive line, we're going to get teed off on at the quarterback position. You know, we can talk about play calling all we want. We can talk about Pete Carmichael. We can talk about offensive production. There's no right play call when you are in a jumbo package with six offensive linemen and you get beat by a four-man rush clean. No chance for the quarterback. Can't uh, we just, right play call for that. I, I thought this game was going to be a get-right game for the run game because we saw the Falcons, the Bears have success against this, this Packers defense, which we all – I think mocked going into this game for having so many first rounders and, you know, underperforming so much, man. Oh man. They tore that saints O line apart. Yeah. Well, especially in the second half, like I, the people are saying the offense was terrible throughout the game. I mean, I think like there are points where the offensive line torpedoes the entire drive, but you know, they had a, they had a, a long drive for a touchdown, went to Jimmy Graham. He finally did something great, you know, not ornamental. One of my honorable mentions, because I said, hey, if you're going to be a red zone threat, we need you to be a red zone threat. And he came through in there. You know, they had two red zone opportunities. He came through in one of them. Fine. If you're a guy that's out there and you're catching touchdowns for a team that struggles in the red zone. Fine. I can. I understand. it. Okay. like, right. He earned himself a reprieve from me. But like and then they had a long drive late in the half that got bogged down and they kicked a field goal. You know, there's only so many possessions there's only so many drives you can only have so many extended possessions and they scored on two of them they the special teams helped them out and they were up 17 nothing and this is a team we have seen play better in the second half of games like 
you know, week one, week two, the offense looked much more effective once they were able to kind of adjust and get through it. Well, you never really had that chance in this game. And so, like, I think that you, if, if Derek Carr stays in this game, you win it by three scores. And now you're just trying to figure out how you can win it without him uh, if he's out. And we're going to get more into that injury in the second segment. But I, get, I, I can't say strongly enough, like, something's got to give here. I don't know if Cesar Reed's going to miss time. I don't know how you, what adjustments you make. Do you give Nick Saldaveri a chance? Do you put on Speed back in the starting lineup and, and figure something else out on the opposite side? I don't know. But it, it's gotten to a point where this season could get – like, they got bailed out by this injury, by, like, by the way. Like, this could have been a lot worse. Um, with Derek Carr and it's gotten to a point where and I know I'm bogarting this entire segment but like the offensive line not the play calling <laughs> you know not the talent is going to torpedo this season if they can't get it together the like you said though how, how is it going to get better with the O-line there's nobody walking through the door uh, how much more coaching do these guys need after going through training camp if you make a switch now at offensive line coach what is that going to do for the you know the remainder of the season kind of thing it's just an issue we knew too going into the year I think a lot of people had as a concern with this offensive line and sadly you know we're seeing now some of the ramifications and in no way did I foresee them putting the quarterback in so much danger like you put it too it's like uh, it, it really is a danger zone out there for the QB right now. I don't. I can't imagine anyone feels really safe. No. Like, how many times can your quarterback get hit before something breaks? Right. And you know, he he. I, you know, when he went down, I thought, man, broken collarbone, season over. Right. Like that's what it looked like because he stayed down for a while. Yeah. And then you know, and people made a big deal about going to a local hospital. I'm pretty sure it's just Lambo is old and they don't have X-rays. Because that's all you need for an AC sprain, which is what the injury is. All you need is an X-ray. I think I'm guessing they just don't have an X-ray on 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 site. Definitely um, not for the not, visitors. I don't know exactly. At least not for the visiting team. And so that's that would be my guess. Is it's just like there's a local hospital and it's easier to do that. But yeah, I mean they got bailed out, so we're gonna have to see. But you know, you say no one's walking through the door. Maybe someone should be. There's guys on the free agent market that, sh- that that can probably be out playing what's happening right now. And, you know, the funny thing is I'm not, you know, the tackles or whatever, you know, the interior line, Eric McCoy, right? This is a guy who is a stud center and has not played like it. Cesar Ruiz, you know, it, he's been hit or miss. Um, the injury obviously stinks. He's got the concussion. I don't know how long it's going to keep him out. He did not look pleased going back to the locker room. And James Hurst, I don't know. Because uh, that, that's where, like, you can live with, pressure on the edges like you can live with you know just riding a guy out wide and because it allows the quarterback to step up but what happens when there's nowhere to step up right then you get eaten alive what happens when there's a free rusher from the interior and you have to have your quarterback bail well Derek Carr is not Lamar Jackson he's not outrunning that guy you know and he's gonna try to hang in the pocket and make a throw and that's what that's what is get got him hurt um so yeah, anyway this is no long too with talking about ram check and like you said, with McCoy, too, th- those are your two, quote-unquote, studs, at least for me, on that O-line, and they they just haven't looked like it. And, and to me, like I said, Ramchek was a huge surprise this game. I haven't gone through film study or anything, but I there were just too many times during the game watching it where I was like, man, I couldn't believe I'm seeing him getting ab- you know abused by that Packers front. Everyone, everyone has, you know, blame. Like, that's the thing. Like, people want to put it all at Carmichael's feet. People want to put it all at Marone's feet. People want to put it all at Dennis Allen's feet. Everybody gets some of it. Like, there's no one. Trevor Penning's on an easy that. one, too, they want to blame. Who? 
They want to blame Trevor Penning too, obviously. Obviously, you know, he's not dominating or anything, but, you know, I think there are worse, there there are bigger issues than him. Uh, and, you know, you could say, well, part of the issue is they have to give him help, which means that that help isn't always available for the strength of the rush. And, and that could be fair. Maybe that's part of the difficulties in scheming. But hopefully, you know, like Alvin Kamara is going to fix a lot of things, you know, in terms of, you know, what you haven't been able to do so far. But he's not and blocking. They, yeah, but I mean, it, there's uh, you need to, what they need to do is slow down the rush first off. And that's what they weren't able to do in this game. They, re, they, they weren't really able to do it against the Panthers either. But they were able to hit big, and the Panthers' offense just didn't have anything. Jordan Love got the job done. I think the defense, uh, and we'll get into the well, – well, actually, let's go forward. So my second stock down, defensive line. You know, and, and I don't think they had a terrible game, but they did not affect it as much as you needed them to, particularly late in the game. And I think part of it is the defense was on the field the entire second half. Um, you know, like – you, you 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 expect them to hold up. You expect them to hold up. You expect them to hold up. At a certain point, that becomes a problem because of the way you play defense, right? Like you don't constantly rotate pass rushers. Cam Jordan's on the field basically the whole game. Carl Granderson's on the field basically the whole game. You get some Isaiah Foskey, some Tano Passanio, but pretty much they're there. That, that's their job. And then on the outsides, like the Saints play a lot of man-to-man and what man-to-man requires is for these guys to chase down people all day long. And in most cases, people that are much faster than them. And so why does the defense wane late in games when you are on the field for too long? That's why. I mean, like you're asking Marshawn Lattimore to chase people around in man-to-man coverage all day. You're asking Isaac Adam to do that. You're asking Alante Taylor, a guy who had a great game to do that. And, you know, mistakes happen. And, so I'm not completely out on a defensive line, but I don't think they played Jordan Love very particularly well in the second half of this game. And that one run down the sideline where they just forgot to knock him out of bounds, part of that's because the NFL would, rules make it so if you hit him and he's going out of bounds, that's a 15-yard penalty. You got to get a hand on him and at least shove him. And, I, you know, I think Carl Granderson got his contract. It was well-deserved, but this was not a banner day for the defensive line. The problem that to go in into it is like, man, you thought the D-line was going to eat with the offensive line issues that the Packers had. Bakhtiari and the other, what was it, the the, the guard uh, was out as well uh, for them. And so, yeah, I thought they were going to be able to take advantage, pressure, pressure love, even though everyone's talking about, oh, his big home opener in Lambeau. And I was like, sorry, they're, they're going to spoil that and completely rattle him. And that definitely was not the case. I mean, they did get pressure. They just didn't get home. No, right. Like they, they, he, like Jordan Love was running for his life a lot of that game. Escape, you know, good escapability. uh, Yeah, he's fast. You know, they, they had a hard time hemming him in. And, you know, they did a much better job against Bryce Young. Um, He escaped, but when he escaped, it was up the middle. And, uh, like, Jordan Love is a guy who wants to still pass the ball when he gets outside the pocket. And that's where, the Saints struggled. Cam Jordan mentioned that they started, you know, doing a lot of dinking and dunking and then throwing up prayers. And sometimes those prayers get answered with those penalties. You know, that drive where they had back-to-back pass interference penalties, um, you know, there were, there were penalties. You know, the Alante Taylor, if you want to fault him for anything, he did not get his head around in a lot of balls. Um, right. He was in good position. And uh, he just, you know, and, and a lot of those instances, he probably could have thrown a flag because there was there was contact, but he played he played well. <sighs> Yeah, and and it's tough because the defense shut him out for, you know what, you know, fifty-two minutes of that game. So how mad can you be about the defense 
it, and, and it's like, well, what happened late in the game? Well, you know, how long can a defense shut out a team? All, if you one field goal in that second half, you win. One. And I'm sure that besides being physically drained, too, I mean, there's that emotional part of it, too, after losing your starting quarterback, obviously. And I'm not making excuses either, but I'm not down on the defense either. I think, like you said, they just unfortunately were on the field way too long. And, man, uh, things fell apart there late in the fourth quarter. And you, you still had a chance, but unfortunately, the you know, the field goal wasn't true. Yeah, and when when the uh, like the the moment I knew it's like okay, if the Saints do not score one more time in this game, they're going to lose it was the two-point conversion because that was demoralizing. Yeah. And it was like if the Packers get the ball back, they're scoring another touchdown. No question in my mind. And you know, uh, like the Deuce was talking about this on a broadcast, it is kind of a strange decision, but if you watch the NFL, that's happening a lot more often when teams are down 14, they will a lot of times Go for that initial two-point conversion because the math dictates that two-point conversion attempts are about a 50-50 scenario. You will convert about 50% of the time. And so, you know, I don't think that the math necessarily adds up the way people pretend it does. But the idea is, okay, you flip a coin twice, you're probably right. going to get heads one time. You're, you know, so, and you only have to get it once. So if you get it that first time, that's the ideal scenario. And you can win it the way the Packers did. The Giants tried it against the 49ers and they didn't get it, but that means you're down eight. And so you get another chance. And now if you lose a game that way, because you don't get either, then it starts to, you start, people start to question it. But because of the odds, you feel like that is an advantage. And you saw like the pressure that put on the saints when they converted that two point conversion and had to defend it after a long drive from a morale perspective, I feel like that was that that was what snapped it. And uh, you you could just tell, you know, one of the reasons I was okay with the Saints throwing it on that last drive is because the way the Packers played it, they let the clock run after first down. So if the Saints just ran it three times, they guaranteed that they had a timeout in their pocket and they would have had about a minute, even if Blake Griffey makes that. And so what throwing did was mean they had two instead of one. But I think the way the Packers played that the last eight minutes of that from a coaching perspective, it ran circles around the Saints' decision-making and how they tried to close out that game. And that kind of leads me into my next thing. And uh, I feel bad about it, but last stock down player, Mr. Groupie, Blake. It's not really fair. He was put in a really tough position. But this was what I said. Well, like all offseason, I was like, you know, I get it. These guys are really close. Blake Groupie might be slightly more consistent. But what happens when you get into a situation where you need that kick to win a game? And I know Will Lutz's nails in that scenario. Like, he might miss a few kicks, right? But when, when you need him in that big moment from 60, I have faith. And when you need it from 61, I still have faith, even though, you know, you, the, the Lord said no. And that's what you saw. I mean, like, I think Blake Ruby's going to be an excellent kicker, but you got to live with the, the, the growth right now. And I think you just saw the pressure get to him a little bit there. I really do. And, you know, it costs you a game. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying a, a 46 yard is a chip shot, but you, you got to make those. In today's NFL, it's a chip shot. In today's NFL, like what would have been a 45 yard or 10 years ago was a 55 yard or now. You should never turn down a 55 yard field goal attempt if you trust your kicker, particularly if you have the wind at your back, which is what the Saints did with a chip. You know, they were at the 37 yard line and they decided to punt. Right. And, it, and what bothers me the most about it is it's almost the exact same decision you made in week, week 13 of last season when 
you had like fourth and one at the 44 or something like that. And you decided to punt in that game. You were up 16 to three and you lost 17, 16 in this game. You were up 17, nothing and lost 18 to 17. I need this team. If you're going to be aggressive play calling, if you're going to be aggressive and throw it on second down, trying to ice a game, if you're going to be aggressive and throw it on third and six, trying to ice a game, right? Then I need you to maintain that throughout the game. Like there's this weird disconnect between the play calling, which is hyper aggressive and the in-game decision-making, which is hyper conservative. And it does not marry together. Either you're going for it or you're not. And in this case, it's like, show some confidence in your goddamn kicker, right? Like, what is he, how does he feel? Like what, when he has to go up there and make that kick to go win a game after no, like you didn't give him, give him a chance earlier in the game. I don't know. I do not like how they went about that. It felt like they were clinging on for dear life, trying not to lose. And I agree with that statement for sure. And that's how you lose games. And so like, yeah. I'm de- I'm not down on Blake groupie, but you know, there was this idea that he couldn't miss. Like, you kind of felt like it was like, okay, man, this kid is nails. This kid is clutch. And I think he will be. But, you know, that was a, that was a letdown for sure. Like you mentioned, it was definitely that scenario we were all waiting for, you know, game on the line, outside, the wind gusting, I guess, enough, right, to be an issue? It was going end to end, right? So it was, you know, I think he blocked it a little bit. And it, it just like the wind coming at it was enough to just kind of hold it out to the right. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all it takes. Um, And he's again, like we talked about this before he came on. I don't know if he's ever had to kick in the wind, at least not at the pro level. Like you were out there for training camp. There was not a single storm. We did not have like a single thunderstorm where you had a windy day. You know, he was, he was kicking outside, but it was basically perfect conditions to kick. And then, okay, he's kicking inside, right? Like, I don't know how much he's actually had to work with wind and um, he was kicking on grass. I don't think that was, that was an issue, but you know, it's, it's something that you got to get used to. And unfortunately for the saints, that learning experience cost them a game. Um, And so, you know, got to keep going, but, and I think the way he handled it afterward, he talked to the media. He was great. Um, I really liked Blake. Just disappointing. Yeah, I mean, the, the the whole game, obviously a huge disappointment when you're leading, going into the fourth quarter on the road and then, I don't know, everything. It's in one of those, none of those games that you go away from going, how how did they lose this, really? Well, I mean, I know I know how they lost it. <laughs> you know, when you lose your quarterback, things break. And in uh, a game where you have a, a special teams touchdown and no turnover, they didn't turn the ball over, but you still found a way. That that's not impressive, but you know what I mean. Yeah, trust me. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the the week thirteen loss last year, it would have been like, man, this is the worst loss I can remember in quite some time. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, uh, we know how this feels, and uh, you know I, that that's why the that's why the decision to punt bothers me so much, just because like I'd like to think you learn from your mistakes. But it was the exact same type of decision. And, you know, I've talked before. I would love to see this team be more analytically inclined because I'm pretty sure the analytics say go there. You know what, team? I can guarantee you will never be going for two when they score that touchdown down 14. The Saints. Because it's just not how they operate. They don't work that way. And and it's like, if you're going to be aggressive, be aggressive. Go for it. But it only seems to be the play calling that's aggressive, not the decision making. When you do the, the the down three up three down, do you ever does it include coaches or no? I tend not to because I kind of work that in. I kind of use the proxy like offensive line. That's that includes Doug Marone. I was going to say I'm throwing in Pete to this game, Carmichael. Yeah, we can we can go through it. Um, I, yeah, I don't think he had a particularly good second half. But again, you know, it's like when whatever plans they had, 
yeah. they went out the window when Derek Carr went down. And, uh, you know, they clearly they didn't adjust well. And so, yeah, that's on him. Um, but I- I'm flabbergasted, too, when you look at the, the stats and you see zero catches next to Rashid Shahid's name. Yeah, it was targeted twice. Um, Carr missed him downfield. He was open. He got, got it to him late. Yeah. You know, so before we end the segment, so one thing, just to, just to mention, like one of the things that annoys me, it's like, okay, you can criticize the play calling, but I feel like people go for the low-hanging fruit and they don't always get it. So throwing on second down, right? To me, the decision changed when the Packers decided to let that clock run. They ran Taysom Hill. He got about a yard. He basically got stuffed. He had to fight for a yard. And the clock went from 140 to one minute. From there, it's, it changes your equation, right? Because now if you run twice... All that does is mean they use two timeouts, but they still have one. And you're kicking it with about a minute left, meaning they will have a minute to come back and not being able to use all three of those timeouts. Like I would, if they could have burned all three of their timeouts and give it back with 140, that's what I think you do. But because you know they're getting a timeout back either way, I think being aggressive is the right call because they gave you that 40 seconds, which means if you go for it and get a first down, you're not going to be able to kick with about 20 seconds left, right? And the downside is you go for it and, you, and you, you're incomplete, which is what happened. Then they have two timeouts instead of one. Really, you're in the same boat. People are like, well, why didn't you just run it and get a couple more yards? Well, I mean, they're going to stack the box. You don't have Derrick Henry. You have Tony Jones. Like, you have just as much likelihood of losing yardage and making that a longer kick as you do gaining any real yardage. Like, you're settling for kicking from where you are if you run the ball two more times. Like, you saw that offensive line out there. They can't pass protect, but... They weren't that much better in run blocking either. Like the idea that they're going to fire off the ball and when the team is loading up the box, be able to generate push. No. So like, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff to criticize. Like we talked about the protection and the, the play action, the long developing play on first down when you just want to get a drive starter, you know, like that's, that's all fair game, I think. And you can just quibble with the play call maybe. Um, but I think the decision to throw on second down was the right one. And you completed third down, like you completed the third down pass. So you did make them burn one time out. But I, I think that, you know, it's the same type of decision you made in week one when you had third and six and you decided not to run it and you went deep to Rashid. And that's how you won that game. If, if that is completed and you get a first down and suddenly that's a 35 yard kick and you're kicking it with 20 seconds left, then everyone's like, wow, what a great call. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. But I like, no, I, I think you're right. I don't think Pete had a very good game. I just think that's not like that's that's where everyone's eyes are drawn because it was the penultimate kind of play. Right. And right. Then that, that's like where your focus is. But that that's not an example of bad play calling, in my opinion. No, I, I hear you on that. There's just a, a lot of I, I guess some of the issues too have to be what he's trying to work around with this offensive line, too. I, I don't know, but it still doesn't it still feels like the offense is stuck in the mud from a year ago. And I, and I didn't expect that. The Saints defense has held 11 straight opponents to 20 points or less. Saints yeah. are six and five in those games. Unacceptable, right? Yeah. But all right, this has been a long segment, so let's wrap it up. We're going to come back. We're going to dive into Derek Carr's injury. We're going to hear from Dr. David Elias, who's an orthopedic surgeon with Ortho LA. Talked to Tommy Tucker this morning on WWL. He's going to get us some insight into the Derek Carr injury. So keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. inside black and gold and this segment we're going to take a break from the three up three down because man that's depressing and we're going to talk about something even more depressing shoulder in especially when you're throwing shoulder 
gosh darn it anyway i'm jeff nowak he's steve geller um so yes Derek carr went down initially i was like man that's a broken collarbone clavicle whatever something that's going to end his season and you're thinking like man how much how many games can they win with james winston right can they get through and and you know you kept him around for a reason I, you know i think that that's a tough spot to be in coming in at halftime you know and the offense isn't really geared toward what you want to do well he went to Mike Thomas a lot more. I think that's going to be what you see from from Jameis a lot is him utilizing Mike Thomas a lot. You know, the the deep shots to Rashid, I don't know. Um, but Derek Carr left the stadium, got an X-ray, AC joint sprain. We don't know the grade, and we're getting to the, more of that in a bit. But yeah, what, what was kind of your reaction when you saw that? I know you were texting me. Yeah, my, that, my first one was just which shoulder was it because I couldn't tell right away. And then after the replay, you could tell – bam, he landed on that throwing shoulder and all kinds of expletives come out your mouth when you see that. <laughs> because, yeah, you, you definitely feel the worst. And we went through hell last year. I mean, I know you know because we've talked about it, how miserable life was, you know, dealing with, you know, the Andy Dalton-led Saints in this in muddling offense. But, I mean, to start out at least, the offense hasn't looked that much better, honestly. But to see the starting quarterback go down like that, you feared the worst. And thankfully, it looks like we've avoided anything major, though. So still, you know, I guess have some questions and concerns going into it without knowing more. But but at least I'm sure with uh, Dr. Elias explaining things, you realize that it's not a death sentence for this season for David Carr, at least. Derek, um, Derek you, say, you said last year. I mean, I was talking to Nick Underhill after the game. I was like, when's the last season? the Saints got through without having to start their backup quarterback for like four or five games. And I think we landed on 2018. Because 2019, Brees got the thumb injury. That was Teddy Bridgewater. 2020, yeah. Brees had the rib injury. That was, you know, Taysom and Jameis with the second half against the 49ers. 2021 was Jameis when he went down and you had to start Trevor Simeon and then Taysom Hill. You know, five lost five games in a row, torpedoed your season. Last year, Jameis for three games and then Andy Dalton the rest of the way. So, I mean... Every season, it seems like. And at a certain point, it's like, it's not just bad luck. It's like, you're letting this guy down. But, you know, like like you said, it's not the end of the world, the AC joint sprain. And so, you know, that's, you know, colloquially, if you're trying to figure out what that is, it's, you know, we would call it a separated shoulder, right? Like, that's kind of the the term that people say. And that's really what you're looking at. But here is uh, David Elias with Tommy Tucker this morning on WWL. It was a really informative interview, so let's take a listen. David Elias joins us now, an orthopedic surgeon with Ortho LA to help us. I know you've not seen Derek Carr. You you don't know what his condition is, but generally speaking, um, what is AC? Uh, what what is a shoulder separation, shoulder sprain? Talk us through all of that if you can, please. Yeah, an, an AC sprain. It's a pretty common injury we see in football. Usually caused from a direct impact. Either you fall on the shoulder, you get hit at the shoulder, or you can fall on an outstretched hand. Uh, it's a a sprain or a tear of the ligament that connects the acromion to the clavicle, which is the collarbone. Uh, we call it a separation, not a dislocation. And with any injuries, uh, they're, they're, they're graded based on how many of the ligaments are torn and, and the severity of the injury. So, you know, grade one is a mild sprain, grade two, a moderate sprain. 
you get into your grade three, four, five, six sprains, and those are the more severe. And sometimes, usually you're talking about surgery, reconstruction, uh, grade four and higher. Sometimes a grade three uh, can be surgical. With him, with Derek Carr, it's his throwing shoulder, so that, that complicates it a little bit more uh, as far as return to play, depending on the grade. So a, a separation is a sprain, or a sprain is a separation? Yeah, Yes, a separation is, you know, they, they call it an AC separation uh, or an AC sprain. Anytime you're spraining a ligament, you're tearing fibers of the ligament, and, and again, most sprains that you hear about, whether it be a, the knee, an MCL sprain, or the shoulder, like an AC sprain, we grade the injury, you know, based on the severity of the separation or the damage to the, the ligaments or uh, the, the, the separation of the joint. The treatment for this, is, well, I guess it depends on the grade, huh? It does. They'll probably get, you know, you, you diagnose it by an x-ray. Uh, that tells you, you you're looking at the x-ray to see basically how high is the collarbone separated uh, from the acromion. Uh, and that's usually what you use to grade it. Now, they'll get an MRI because less than, I'd say, 20% of the time you can get an associated injury, uh, another injury like a tear to the rotator cuff or labrum, which makes it more significant. But typically, you know, a grade one and grade two is never surgical. Grade threes depend on the separation uh, and depend on the patient. And again, with him being his his dominant throwing arm, that could change whether you treat something conservative or surgical. But but as a surgeon, when we see an AC sprain, we we prefer to treat these conservative because they do a lot better and they get back a lot quicker. Because you know, typically they're milder sprain of course i know nothing about it but like they've looked they've taken an x-ray typically you can tell the grade of the separation by an x-ray the mri will be ordered looking for other injuries that may have occurred which happen less than probably 20 percent of the time so you're talking about nothing else happened labrum or things like that rotator cuff yeah so what kind of like non-surgical treatment would somebody with an ac sprain of a lower grade non-surgical be looking at so if it's a grade one sprain which is which are probably the more common the grade one or two sprains we just put them in a sling let things calm down and then get them into therapy pretty quick get them moving pretty quick and back to doing their sporting activity typically if it's a grade one sprain you know parents or coaches want to know how long is my my player out and i typically if i'm if i'm just looking at at averages i tell people patients grade one sprain two weeks out grade two sprains maybe four weeks out and a grade three sprain that we treat non-surgically probably six weeks out. Now, with him, what makes it a little bit harder is, is he's, his position requires him to, to throw. So a baseball pitcher or an overhead athlete or you know a quarterback, it may be a little bit longer than what I just said just because of the nature of what, what they do. And on the other side of it, he is a professional athlete in – excellent shape i guess that helps a little bit or not or does it mean that the more the muscles are defined the worse they can get hurt or something i don't i don't not an orthopedist doctor i'm sorry 
it'll it'll make the recovery quicker being in shape for him and easier but but i mean the it won't change how how they treat or or how careful careful they are with him you know they'll make sure that that he is throwing relatively pain-free and and has all his strength back before they attempt to let him go back. When it's gone, is it gone, or is this something that could haunt somebody for the rest of the season? No, it shouldn't haunt them, but, but you know, when you if you have a lower-grade sprain, you, you, you can see, you can almost feel a little bump on your shoulder from the, the collarbone is basically raised up. And so if, if someone returns to play in the same season – They'll they'll pat it just so he doesn't take another hit to it. But, you know, I, I guess unless he has another injury, he's not risk. That that would be the only risk of, of taking a, a grade one injury to a grade four injury if he sustains another direct impact. So typically when people return to play, they're ready. And we don't typically see them have a problem or come back with another, a worse injury that, you know, from the prior one. And doctor, I know you don't know anything about Derek Carr's case, but if it's the most minor from your experience for somebody that would have the most minor separation and playing quarterback, the quickest they could get back on the field would be. If it truly is a low grade AC sprain, I would say two to four weeks. All right. So again, thanks to Dr. Elias for that is an orthopedic surgeon with ortho LA. Um, There's a few things that he said there that I find notable. So, First things first, MRI, Dave, Derek Carr is going to have one, I'm sure. Like, like he said, you need to rule out any associated injuries that you might not have been able to see on an x-ray. So he's, I'm sure he, if he hasn't had one yet, he's going to have an MRI to rule out like a rotator cuff tear or something like as the shoulder was separated, hurt something else. That's something you can't really see on the x-ray. So you know, I think he said less than 20% of these injuries have those. So hopefully that's something they can avoid because that would obviously complicate things further. The other thing is we don't know the grade of the injury yet. And and that's going to be the biggest factor of, you know, how much of ligament damage is there? How far was the shoulder separated? Because that's going to determine how long it takes them to come back. The Saints know right now, though. Yeah, that was one thing that he made clear. It was like, it right. doesn't take long. Like doctors, you you can tell almost immediately, like in terms of like once you evaluate it, what the grade is. So I'm sure the saints are well aware of how severe it is. It just hasn't been reported yet. And so what, you know, but I think two weeks is the minimum you're probably looking at with this type of injury, even the most minor version of it. And and two weeks can mean, okay, maybe he can get back next week. Right. Like it doesn't mean he's going to miss two weeks of football. It means that you're probably looking at that as, as your target of at minimum, you know, so maybe he could get back for that game against the Patriots. More likely, I'd guess you're talking week seven against the Texans, assuming it's a grade one sprain, which based on you know what I'm hearing, kind of the opti- like the, the, the tone of everything and the, the demeanor of everybody, uh, it, it sounds like that's probably what you're looking at. I, I mean, don't quote me on that, but you know, I, like he was back with the team. He came home with the team, so it wasn't like he needed to get immediate treatment out in Green Bay. You know, and so hope, you know, you're going to be probably looking at Jameis this week, but all in all, I think you got lucky and hopefully, you know, I think they can win games with Jameis. I really do. I don't, I I wouldn't want to see him the rest of the way. No offense, 
Um, but I think this this off this team is better with Derek Carr at quarterback. Um, I think they can win with Jameis, but I think they're better with Derek Carr. So hopefully, by the time you do get him back, you've solved some of these issues. And the question is, how long does it take him to rehab? How long does it take to get the strength back in that shoulder? They're probably going to pat it, like Dr. Elias said. But, you know, it's like, yeah, he can recover. But if you let him get teed off on again, you're right back where you started. Yeah, and we, we talked about in the first segment, too, about being, uh, you know, afraid for anyone who's back there. And Jameis isn't Mr. Mobile quarterback. He can he can run, but it's not like he's ever looking to take off. And, yeah, I, I, that's a great point. What you had earlier, it's like, do you start Taysom at quarterback maybe because of the offensive line issues and you know that that QB power is going to be more successful? I, I just don't know. Uh, the team's vision right now with that O-line. Well, so here's here's one thing that's worth talking about, too. You know what becomes really inconvenient right now? The fact that Jake Hayner is suspended for three more games. You know, like w- when it happened, you were like, well, it's not the end of the world. You have Derek, you have Jameis. You don't really need him. He'd be inactive anyway, as or that third, that emergency quarterback. Now, your only option is Taysom. And so if you don't start Taysom, which I think you're going to start Jameis, but, and if you, so if you don't start Taysom, He's got to be the backup. And so not only yeah. do you have to put him in that role, you lose him. You know, like you might still use him, but you can't use him as much as you want to. That's just unrealistic. So what do you do? You know, one, a couple, there are a couple options. And I would not be surprised if the Saints went and uh, said, hey, Jake, you want to come hang out? Jake Luton, he's on the Panthers practice squad. They could sign him. They could go get him. We, we know how that works. They could go poach him. They'd have to put him on the active roster, but you have space. Because you got all these suspensions. Or there's another guy out there, free agent, friend of the program, Mr. Ian Book, baby. He's a free agent. Saints cut him. I'm sorry, the Eagles cut him. The Saints technically cut him too. I've had enough of the book. Close the book, please, on on that experience. I I get it. But at the same time, body. Well, it's a body, but it's also, both these guys know the offense. And that's the thing. If you're going to sign someone off the street, they're not going to be up on the offense in a week, whereas these guys could be. And and I swear, Singing's out there. That's true. <laughs> that's another option. No, seriously, because all I need is someone to be the backup so that I can still use Taysom, right? I just need someone so that I don't end up in a situation where I just have zero quarterbacks, right? Yeah. And and you know, I guess the alternative is like, okay, uh, you know, just. You use Taysom a lot. You kind of 50-50 it and you go there. But I think that's a tough that's a tough spot to be in. Either way, that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that roster spot this week. Ah, Kamara's back. He's the emergency quarterback. It's true. That's what, he, <laughs> that's, what that's what it was before you had uh, some of these guys. So yeah, it's true. No, we got all kinds of weird scenarios already in this season, no doubt. Uh, but all right, let's wrap that segment up. We're going to come back. We're going to go through the three up because there are a couple positive players. I do want to highlight them and this team. Note, you know, I like it. They're not giving up on the season yet. You know, two and one, not exactly a death sentence. Uh, So I think we should try to look at some of the positives too and see where they go from here. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. We will be right back. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Losing sucks. It does. The way they lost was worse. But is it worse than losing 
by 50. Uh, yeah, I, in that scenario, yeah, because they haven't won a game at all this year. So they're the Denver's 0-3, Saints 2-1, and and still have hope. It already looks like they, they're ready to have the funeral for Sean Payton out in Denver. I had some people tell me they would rather have lost the way Denver lost. And I'm like, what? I mean, I can understand, you know, that, like I think Tyron Matthews said this. It was like, I would rather get blown out than lose the way they did because it's way more just demoralizing and disappointing to know you should have won the game and you blew it. Whereas when you're getting blown out, you never had a chance, but I throw that. I don't think that's true when you will, when you're allowing 70 points and the dolphins decided not to kick a field goal that would have set the all time record. They took pity on you and didn't put you in the record book as the most points allowed in NFL history, that's almost like when you leave someone a tip that's like a dollar and they come up to you and like, you clearly need this more than I do. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you, I mean, man, 70 points. What? How? So if, Sean, if there's a Sean stock, Payton can't win without Drew. I mean, Drew, Drew wouldn't have a name that had been any help in that game. 70 <laughs> points. If all you did was start dolphins in fantasy football, oh, you would have won. Lord, right. You could have left half your roster empty. If you started Devon H. and Raheem Mostert and Tua Tagovailoa, you won. They were, oh I think God. they were the top three fantasy scorers this week. I was going to say, imagine like on your team if you had Tua and like the Tyreek Hill combination. Oh, I forgot about Tyreek Hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for him, <laughs> him too. Uh, Devon, Devon Achan, I think, is how they're supposed to say his name now. Anyway. Right. So, yeah. Stock up on not being the Broncos. That's good. <laughs> And stock up on that second round pick because it's sure looking like it might be a, the number 33 pick. <laughs> okay. So Saints players, you know, as you look at it and you're like, okay, what, what, what positives can we draw out of this game? You, you do have to kind of try, right? You have to figure out what worked and, and build upon that. Like that is a factor. That is what you have to do as an NFL team. You don't want to dwell on what ha- went, went wrong. You have to fix the problems, but also figure out what you are doing well and, and, and continue to do those things. And, in this case, I don't think there's anything you can do wrong as long as you are throwing in Chris Olave's direction because he is the truth. That one-handed catch he had beautiful, was so casual. I mean, it was like I almost like I was watching it from because it was on the opposite sideline, and I was like, it almost looked like he gave up on the play. It was so casual that I was like, oh, he must be out of bounds because no way did he stay in bounds and still catch it that casually with no effort. But no, it was there. It was perfect. It's gorgeous. It was, it was beautiful. It was a, It was like, put that to music. That's up there. And it's not the Odell Beckham catch, but it's, it's, it's like that type of just, just smooth, you know, like he's just, he is something. Um, and I, I, it's so much fun to watch. I mean, it was his catch that set up the field goal, right? Like the end of the game, the Packers gave the ball back. And I don't think anyone in that stadium even considered they were going to allow a first down. I think that stadium was like, oh, we're going to win this easily. They're not even going to get out of their shoes. And all of a sudden, Chris Olave catch down the sideline. Saints are in business, right? And like, he's that type of player. Thankfully, he makes us look a little bit smart because he was one of the folks, obviously, coming from everyone out of training camp, obviously, how impressive Olave looked. And, yeah, has not disappointed at all year two in the NFL. And I think pretty soon you're going to start hearing his name, obviously, mentioned with those other top elite names in in, in that group, which is uh, we got some amazing receivers, obviously, in the NFL. But Olave, he is that dude. <laughs> you can't single him. 
Can't single cover him. And it's going to make life a lot easier on Mike Thomas once this offense gets its head out of its ass. I, I heard the Raiders broadcast last night kind of said something you said last year about Olave. It's like Devontae Adams, he's just always open. And I'm like, that's like Olave. Yeah, he's <laughs> always open. 108, 104 yards on eight catches. He's up to 302 yards on 22 catches through three games. Uh, that's a pace for 124 catches, 1,710 yards. Zero touchdowns. <laughs> Hopefully that changes. That's the only yeah, thing. Gotta, the only negative. The end zone part. Yeah, the only negative I can say for Alave is he hasn't gotten the end zone. But I mean, he he did get in the end zone. It got overturned because he had a toe on the line. So like you know, if you if you want to go that way, you know, maybe he catches three or four. That's the only thing I'll say is in the red zone. I would love it if he was a little bit more assertive and you went to him a little bit more. But you know, I mean, uh, this the the big issue for this team is I mean, I, like this team can win kicking field goals. Right. Like if if all they did in the second half was kick a field goal, they win. So I, I'm you know, the red zone stuff, we can talk about it. You do want to punch it in. But I also need them to be able to move the ball and get into scoring range because that's, you know, like, yes, you want to score touchdowns, but also you got to put points on the board um, because if you're standing still, you're going to get caught up too quickly. So like. In that sense, I I think Olave has been very important and will continue to be important. So he's one yeah, of my stock up players. Up. Sure. Yeah, I mean it's like straight up, like it's the needle's broken off. The next guy, and this is and this guy who I thought had a really he actually had a rough start. And one of the best things that I think that can happen for Alante Taylor is he makes a mistake early in the game, not a huge one, not a, not a big one, but he makes a mistake that just like locks him in. Because I think that's what happened. He had a chance to get Jordan Love down in the backfield and kind of whiffed. He overran it. And it felt like like he locked in at that point. And he had another chance like a couple plays later and he wiped him out. He had five passes defensed, five tackles. He was everywhere. And he he was in the like he, yeah. he he was on the field for basically, I think he was 100 percent of the snaps. When they were in the nickel, he was in the slot. When they were in the base, when they were in base, he was outside. I mean, they were going after him because no one wants to throw at Marshawn. So it was Isaac Yadam and, and Alante getting targeted constantly. I thought, you know, Alante, he did have that, obviously, pass interference. He didn't get his head around for the ball as much as I'd like him to. But, I mean, that kid is that kid is very good, and he's going to be – he's just going to keep getting better. Unbelievable. We get his first sack before his first interception. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and like, that was one, one of the reasons that the defensive line, like, you look at the stats, and it's like, oh, they, they, they had a sack. They had a couple sacks. They had, a you know, a couple quarterback hits. But it was like you know, Demario Davis, Alante Taylor. Like it wasn't the defensive line making those plays. Um, right. Brian Brzee did have a nice play where he got upfield and he knocked the ball down. But you know, Isaac, like Isaac Adam, I actually thought Isaac Adam had a good game. Uh, considered all things considered, like he he was getting targeted relentlessly. Oh, on for sure, right? And you know, like yeah, I think he got beat for one touchdown late in the game. But I mean, that was after play after play after play. He had a pass breakup that ended one of their drives in the in the red zone. So. You know, like the decision to play him, I think it was questioned a little bit. I, I He wasn't the reason you lost. So, you know, I, he, I think he's kind of the uh, on the fringe. Uh, I think you have a really good depth cornerback group considering Paulson Debo went out and those guys, those guys held up. So that's that's one of my stock ups is I think the, the Alante Taylor depth cornerback type situation. I think you're in good shape. Yeah, and I, to your point there, too, I thought the fact of no Paulson Adebo, obviously no Marcus May either back there, the secondary still held up pretty well. Yeah, and so we talked about Jimmy Graham earlier. You know, he's one of my honorable mentions because, like I said, you know, you brought him in to be a red zone threat. He caught a touchdown in the red zone. 
I mean, that's what, like, you knew he wasn't going to get a huge role. So right. if he's out there affecting the game, and heck, he scored 17 points. Seven of those were his, so, or six of those were his. So, yeah, like, he's, I think that kind of gives you at least a little bit of an idea of, like, okay, he can do some things. Like, he's, he's at least a factor. So give him that. Um, but my last stock up player, it's, it's Kendry Miller. Kendry Miller. Um, you know, I don't think he had a huge game, but he did lead the Saints in rushing. I think he had 39 yards on nine carries. He showed some burst. I don't think he made any huge mistakes, right? Like I, I have to go back through the film and to look at the pass protection, but I don't think he was the culprit on any major misses. Uh, you know, that's, that could be wrong. Obviously it's really tough to tell in real time. Um, but I thought he he handled himself well. He was on the field a good bit. Um, he didn't fumble. There were no turnovers. He didn't get hurt. You know, I think you, you're going to get Alvin back this week, and you're going to have to start making decisions on, okay, who's his backup? Because Jamal Williams is on injured reserve now. You're not going to get him back for at least three more weeks. Uh, he can The earliest he can get back would be um, week seven. So it would be three, four, five, six. Yeah, so he could get back week seven. If, if he's back healthy from that hamstring. But over the next few weeks, you're going to have to make a decision. Okay, is it Tony or is it Kendra getting those RB2 reps? And from what I saw today, or yesterday rather, I think that Kendra did enough for me to feel confident in him getting at least the bulk of the backup carries. I think you're still going to work in Tony. I think he's going to be your pass pro option if you're sending someone in there on third down specifically for pass protection. Um, but I, you know, uh, with a lot of things that went wrong today and an offense that got away from the run, even though it was working, I think Kendra, he, he showed himself pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard just because he, I, I want more, you want more, but I, I just don't see the, the holes opening up with this offensive line right now. And it's, it's easy to keep piling on with the O line, but man, this running back, this, uh, the run game in general hasn't been great. It got a little better this, this past week, but once again, you know, going into it, you knew the pack were weak against the run and you wanted to see something. So at least it had some life, uh, the run game to it. And yeah, we're, we're going to get that big boost now with Alvin Kamara back in the mix. He's such an X factor for this team. Yeah, and they got the ball outside a little bit on the run game, which is something I've been hoping they could do, and they just hadn't um, through two weeks. And that's where you had some success. Tony Jones had a long run on the edge. Uh, I think Kendra got out to the edge on one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, it's not – it wasn't ever going to be perfect, right? Like, you're still going in with a rookie in his first career game and Tony Jones Jr. There's so much you can expect. I thought, you know, for, for a guy in his first career game, it's only going to get better. Um, he didn't look, it didn't look too, the, the moment didn't look too big for him. Let's put it that way. Like he didn't look out of place out there. It wasn't like I saw him and I was like, oh gosh, what's he going to do now? Um, and so, yeah. And I mean, the, yeah, no the, big thing too, the big thing too, not getting injured again too, because we've seen, you know, too, too yeah. much of him getting, you know, being on the sidelines and not enough in practice or at game. So bravo for staying healthy. He's no Devon Chan. I, I don't like that. But, you know, I, I think the, the Saints are going to – he's just going to keep in better. Um, my last honorable mention, and we can close out on this, you know, I'll give it to Jameis. He was, a, he was in a tough situation. No one was blocking. They didn't move the ball at all in the second half. It was a struggle, right? And, and so, like, he wasn't perfect. But one thing that I've always appreciated out of Jameis, and he's shown it, 
is he does have that killer instinct. He does have that clutch gene where you need a drive. You need to get downfield to kick a go-ahead field goal, a touchdown. He, he tends to deliver. I mean, you saw that in week one last year, right? Like things were going very poorly. And in that fourth quarter, he did to the Falcons what the Packers did to the Saints yesterday, right? And in a like 16 points, fourth quarter, it's exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I thought, you know, what he was able to do on that last drive, he just locked in, found Chris Olave, found Mike Thomas, got into field goal range. He did enough for the Saints to make a go-ahead field goal. And so, it, it, you know, for a guy who you're going to have to trust this week, next week, um, I think his, his like, I like where his, where his mindset is. is. I like where he's approaching the game from. You know, he's been in this offense. He knows how it operates. You're going to have to change things a bit for him, I think, especially in terms of the pass protection because of the – I don't think that he's able to handle the protections as well as Derek Carr is. But, hey, maybe maybe that helps. Maybe there's some. Maybe there's something to that where you change up how you are operating in that regard and you're able to get a little bit more done. Either way, you know, I, I, I give James a lot of credit. Um, he hung in there. It's not his fault that they held on a long Taysom Hill run – you know, there was a lot of penalties in the second half that torpedoed some drives. So, yeah, I mean, I, like, I'm not thrilled that you have to turn to Jameis because I think Derek Carr is a very good quarterback, and I've been really appreciative of what I've seen from him. But I think Jameis can get the job done. You mentioned him right there, and I think he was in your three ups from last week. But uh, I put an honorable mention to Mike T. Michael Thomas has been really consistent these three games, and I think this is what we should expect to see from him throughout this season and, and no knock or, or, you know, anything against it, but I think five to eight catches a game, 50 to 70 something yards, hopefully a, a touchdown as well, though, in there would be nice. But uh, Mike T for me has, has been really great. Uh, uh, happy to see him back being healthy and definitely uh, targeted uh, often when, you know, available because he still has those reliable hands that, you know, aren't going to drop the, the ball. When he gets on the field in week four, it'll be the first time that he has been active for the first four games of a season since 2019. That'll age you quick. Wow. Yeah. So like just being out there and being effective alone and like he, you know, like, like I said, I think, you know, he's going to be a much bigger part of the offense with Jameis. Like just the way that Jameis operated in this game, you can tell like he's looking for Mike. And I think that that's a, you know, that's, you know, as much as I love Chris Olave and I, and I like how they've been using him, I do think that working the quick game and getting Mike Thomas more involved when you are struggling to protect will be helpful. Um, so, you know, hopefully that that's something that Jameis can continue to, because I think on that last drive you saw it, you were, they were able to get some, some stuff done. So that's it. That's all I got. Like, I'm not trying to convince anyone that this was a good game. Right, that Pete Carmichael played well, or that called a good game in the second half. That, they, that there was a ton well. of positives. That there was a ton of positives to take out of it. But I think there were some positives. You're going to build on this. You're two and one. Um, as of tonight, you could be tied for the division lead. As of Monday night, you could be tied for the division lead or behind the Bucks if they find a way to beat the Eagles. You know, they're not, the team's just you got to keep going. You got to you got to find ways to win these games. And that week that week four game is going to be huge. I mean, if you beat the Bucks there. You know, that's a big tiebreaker in your pocket because I think the Buck, this Bucks team, you know, as much as I talk crap about them, I think they're going to be they're going to be here for the for the duration. Big test for the Bucks, obviously, uh, will test definitely who they are. Uh, you mentioned Philadelphia Monday Night Football, then boom, the Saints the next week. So back to back fierce defense is no doubt. 
For sure. But all right, let's wrap up this this episode of Inside Black and Gold. We're recording this before Dennis Allen speaks on Monday. So if there's anything that seems dated, that's why. We'll be coming back with an episode later in the week. Break down any updates on Derek Carr, uh, you know, go through some of the film. I'll have a chance to go through a little more closely and, you know, maybe tease out some stuff that they could do better that went exceptionally poorly because there was a lot that went poorly. It's almost not even notable to talk about it. It's, <laughs> there was so much of it. But uh, we'll, we'll go through it. Um, but thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks uh, for, for putting up with our kind of all-over-the-place schedule the last few weeks. Try to be a little bit more regimented going forward to get a home game this week, so that would be nice. But otherwise, let's do it. Looking forward to being back home in the Dome. Who dat? Peace, y'all.